No, hi, oh, hi, hi, I've the, <clears throat> don't mind me, I was just um, watching the Star Wars Galactic Spectacular uh, from Disney's Hollywood Studios, wistfully, tearfully. I wish I could be there. Hey, it's Riley Blanton of the Star Wars Report. A quick uh, tag here at the beginning of the show to say, hey, I just moved apartments. Um, I also got married, that's why, but moved apartments and I have an awesome prize package, actually several prize packages. Uh, <clears throat> several prize packages. Words are hard, guys. Uh, of Star Wars stuff, I've got uh, some Star Wars Report t-shirts in a medium size. Uh, sorry, guys, that's the only size I got. Uh, I've got uh, some sweet Star Wars mug, a Galaxy's Edge Coke bottle, some awesome giveaways from Tops, a bunch of trading cards, some cool Star Wars swag, and uh, I'm picking out uh, three fine people who leave us an iTunes review. All you got to do is leave us an iTunes review, or if you already have, you just shoot uh, uh, me an email, starsreport at gmail.com with your iTunes um, username, and uh, you will be eligible for entry for this awesome prize. Uh, hope you're doing well amidst the Star Wars quarantine. Hope one of these pa prize packages um, makes it your way. But enough with, uh, enough with giveaways. Let's get on with the proper show. This week's episode of the Star Wars Report is brought to you by the good folks supporting us over on patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. Let's do the show, folks! Gum, gum, gum! And who might you be? It's the Star Wars Report! Star Wars Report! Woo! Star Wars Report! The place for Star Wars news, features, interviews, and more. Then we can do something epic. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Please delete as appropriate. The Force. It's calling to you. Just let it in. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Star Wars Report podcast. I'm your host, Riley Blanton. So glad to have you back. It is episode 428, uh, and we got a fun show for you guys uh, today. In fact, we have a special guest today. Um, I won't delay. Let's bring him right in. It's the author <laughs> of uh, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, one of my favorite books about the uh, behind the scenes of that galaxy far, far away. It's Chris Taylor. How's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, Riley. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to talk to you, man. It's been a while, and um, I chatted with you briefly before the show. But you are the you are the victim <laughs> now of my uh, recent sort of obsession with jumping back into the world of behind the scenes uh, of Star Wars in a way that I, I think um, my 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 super fandom was beginning around the same time I started this podcast. And then uh, uh, that was around the time of the Clone Wars, and then the sequel trilogy started happening, and we've you know we that see it's, it's hard to believe that's over, but here yes. we are again, and I feel like um, I'm, and we're about to get to the end of the Clone Wars as no, well. Oh, yeah, it's it's crazy, but but I find myself, Chris, at um, this sort of juncture as a fan that I think a lot of older fans, a lot of you guys listening to the show right now, had long ago in your childhood, which is you know 
voraciously consuming all the old documentaries and books and uh uh you know uh basically yeah, so every that, little kind morsel of the, the uh this is what we do during the fallow years of star wars i feel like you know i must i must teach you younglings mm. uh how <laughs> how we used to do things in the dark times i mean imagine uh, and i this this whole um break from well break from society essentially is what we're doing but um this whole break from star wars uh theatrical f- films even though it's short i find myself in a headspace that i f- think might be similar uh to where you're basically consuming uh, i'm the, the house how star Wars conquered the universe i was going through that again i just finished uh the secret history of star wars um the the, the sort of bible i guess it's, it's really the talmud is probably the it's, best it's <laughs> it's a fantastic thesis uh that was that was very influential on me in, in a lot of areas and how yeah. star was conquered and uh michael kaminsky the author is a, is a great guy yes um, i love chatting with him that's awesome but i'm basically through doing that i wanted to have you on the show to talk a little bit but we'll get around i've got some i've got some questions for you especially as a guy who knows a lot about the history of star wars um, and its production and creative process in light of the sequel trilogy and in light of uh, the rise of Skywalker specifically. But, uh, but first, we've got some news. We have something to report. Come closer, I have good news. Data brought to us by the Botham spies. We can send a clear transmission. There it is. Listen, listen. It's, uh, it's all Mandalorian, guys. It's almost um, Star Wars month, and Variety has confirmed... Mandalorian season three is already in the works at Disney plus um, the October premiere date for season two may still seem pretty far away, but pre-production has already begun according to variety on a third installment of what I, of the flagship show. The reason people signed up, let's be honest to, um, to <laughs> Disney plus. I know it's the reason I signed up. I mean, honestly, that's what, like talking to a lot of the the laymen. When I'm, um, I find myself as 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 the Disney shill I am sometimes to be like, yeah, Disney Plus is coming. Are you excited? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Especially yeah. at, at work, a lot. I mean, of- you, those nature documentaries are nice, and the Imagineering <laughs> story was pretty cool. But let's be honest, we we got it for the Mandalorian. Yes, yes. Um, and but season three, it seems um pretty early in the curve to already be talking about it. But I guess it makes sense with it being that flagship show yeah i mean it's sort of a, in in a way the least surprising mandalorian news you could imagine yeah uh in, in the only way it wouldn't get a season three is if they planned it as a two season story arc yeah which i don't think they did it seems like a very open-ended story structure no and this comes on the uh, heels of them wrapping production for season two and very quickly after that the rumors of rosario dawson playing ahsoka started swirling nothing official on that uh, but some of mm. those rumors started swirling around. So it seems that regardless, they 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 seem pretty happy with season two and want to roll right into pre, uh, pre-production for season three. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they've already got the formula from season one and you can sort of see how that formula could sustain so many more stories. Mm. Uh, I mean, season one was was a major flex in, in a lot of di- different, different directions. It's almost yeah. like, hey, we could do this genre, we could do a heist movie, we can do a seven samurai episode, um, you know, and it's it's you're going to be compelled to watch each of them. And it doesn't matter what it is, and you know, uh, we're going to make you watch all of this. Uh, so there's so so much more that they can do with that. It's um, very kind of like they did with Clone Wars. I was about to say that it's very Clone Wars mm-hmm. of them. 
Mm. But but in a more mainstream sense, I think uh, much more accessible. Love Clone Wars, Wars, but you know it is it's sort of out of on the outer edges of niche interest in terms of like it's not a thing that necessarily the whole family will sit down and watch. Whereas Mandalorian is appointment television. Now, what do you think this means for the current pre-production? Of which there have been rumors that have swirled around forever for the uh, the Rogue for the Cassian Andor series and the 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 Obi Wan series because both have been officially talked about by Lucasfilm, but uh, we haven't really they gotten have. much concrete. I mean, I guess we we saw Kathleen Kennedy and Ewan McGregor on stage, and that was about the most public statement we've had. But then there were some rumors about the um, the behind the scenes shakeup. You know, you would you would think, and, and the rumors about is it a movie or is it a TV show? Like mm. it seems to have bounced back and forth several times. Mm. Um, but you would think that during quarantine would be the perfect time to film Kenobi. Like <laughs> yeah. just well, have you and McGregor <laughs> six feet away from the camera at all, all times in the desert in Tunisia? Just <laughs> he could just film just it himself. Being alone. It's yeah, basically exactly. the Obi Wan. It's his vlog. quarantine diary. <laughs> Uh, I would watch the Obi-Wan video diary um, while he's on. So today... It's perfect because he is staying six feet away from the Lars family at Mm, all times. That's true. So very socially distanced. Exactly. Based on the very strong demands from one Owen Lars. But that's that's pretty cool. And and the other thing about Mandalorian is uh, they just recently announced that uh, for May the 4th, celebrate Star Wars Day, they are... Uh, debuting a full documentary series on the Mandalorian as well. Um, let's see. It's it's hosted by executive uh, producer John Favreau, going behind the scenes in an eight episode documentary series. After which uh, there will be a new episode aired every Friday on Disney Plus. So they're basically leading into the new season, is what it looks like with this documentary wow. series, which is a pretty smart move. I- I hadn't heard the eight episode part. That's that's a lot of documentary. It's it's kind of like um. I mean, I guess the sequel trilogy. Uh, that's something that they have really delivered as a feature length documentary for all three mm. sequel trilogy films. So I'm 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 impressed that they've they're giving us that much instead of just. It's not just sort of like the the Clone Wars download episodes that we've been getting. It's a full on. Is it weird to say that I'm not looking forward to a documentary on the Mandalorian because so much of it is magic that i don't want to be spoiled like i do not want to see the inner workings of baby yoda i just don't yeah it seems wrong hmm interesting (laughs) and and that was not true of the original yoda right i mean i i love watching you know empire dreams and that sort of stuff uh you know i love seeing frank oz behind the the controls of yoda as it were but Mm. uh yeah for the mandalorian i don't know and i mean part of it is knowing how much of it was green screen right yeah uh, when it really doesn't look like green screen. And again, I don't want that part of it to be spoiled. I love the atmospheric nature of The Mandalorian. And I don't know, I feel like eight episodes, I'm just going to, you know, what, the, the total runtime is going to beat the original season? Uh, <laughs> that, that's you know, a, I don't by know the what time the... I watch season two, I'd be like, oh, well, they're just standing in front of green screen now. <laughs> that's not Tatooine or... Whether, well, wherever they end up this time. I remember um, early on with The Mandalorian, there was a, a Bill Burr interview that went out um, where he kind of talked about his experience being on the set. And funny enough, this is before mm. the series came out and he kind of played it off. He's like, yeah, it's a bit cameo. Of course, it ended up being quite a bit more than that. But he, he right. his, his main takeaway was like he talked about some of the behind the scenes tech that they use for um, rear projection in sets. 
um, and it blew my mind. But of course, it, that that's the kind of thing that they want to show showcase. It's called the actual title is Disney Gallery: The Mandalorian, and and they do have a, a the Favreau quote, and we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, it's a Daily Mail article, but the Favreau quote is: "The Mandalorian is an opportunity for fans." Uh, of the show to take a look inside and see a different perspective and perhaps a greater understanding of how the Mandalorian came together with some of the incredibly talented contributors throughout season one. So essentially they're going to, it's going to be hosted by John Favreau, a bunch of sort of behind the scenes footage. And then each, each chapter uh, quote, each chapter explores a different facet of the uh, first live action star Wars television show. So um, it's interesting. It's, it's a, it's a full-on series, but I think that's what's been pretty popular on Disney mm. Plus is a lot of their behind-the-scenes. The Imagineering story is is honestly the best piece of content on Disney Plus besides Mandalorian, if you ask me. It's it's pretty damn good and surprisingly sort of open about Disney yes. failures, which is sort of what's very interesting about that. But it's it's uh, I don't know if you had this reaction, but I found it less interesting once. You get into the Iger era, where they're clearly, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not like they're this suddenly becomes propaganda. I would say that they're just suddenly a little bit more wary about what they, uh, what they will say about the successes and failures of Disney. Yeah. In the in the Iger era, uh, and in the going to China era and all of that. Um, Mm. So yeah, you know, it's uh, again documentary about the Mandalorian. Is it is it too close? Is it going to be too much like hagiography? I don't know. You know what I would watch is just one hour uh, for for each show of just the the concept art. You, you know the the way mm. they do it over the closing credits. Yeah, just, just run the Mandalorian theme <laughs> for a whole hour. Show us all yeah. the concept art. I will watch every second of that. That's I mean it. That's it's incredible. I I I love that. <laughs> post-credit style um very spaghetti western mm. which of course which of course it is which is funny you're you're uh, it's almost like you perfectly set me up you teed me up perfectly chris because i want to talk to you about <laughs> concept art but not from the mandalorian hang on let me um i got, I got listen it's it's real it's guys it's a real book you can hear the pages um mm. the good folks uh over at abram's book were very kind they sent us a copy of the rise of skywalker the art of rise of skywalker by phil sozak and I mean, I, it's... I'm still waiting for my copy. Oh. <laughs> I uh, I think it's in the office, and one day I'll be allowed ba- allowed back yeah, in. Exactly. To see <laughs> if it's among the pile of books in a in a closed storeroom. I mean, in in keeping with the, um, well, here's what happened: is I I had the Force Awakens art of book that I'd bought way back, and then I, I let the mm-hmm. Last Jedi and 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 Solo and Rogue One kind of slip me by, um, and then. Uh, I got the email from them. They're like, yeah, we'll send it to you. So they, they sent it to me. And I, then I promptly remembered how amazing these books are and then just ordered all the rest of them. <laughs> so now I have the stack mm. from Amazon. This is what happens when you're quarantined. You just spend too much money on Amazon. <laughs> but they were nice. <laughs> At least this one they sent to me. It was really nice of them. But it was um, it has this really interesting quote. So it's, of course, a sort of chronicling of the behind-the-scenes production process from an art design standpoint, which I find pretty unique. Um Phil has access to and a timeline of all the production meetings and how they met. And he actually kind of gets into some of the details. But what really jumped out to me, Chris, and I kind of wanted to talk to you about it, was uh, right here on page 34, if you guys have it at home. Um, uh, they It talks about this. Here we go. Almost three years earlier, May 21st, 2014, a week, of, uh, a week after the start of principal photography for The Force Awakens, Lucasfilm's informal intellectual property development group 
the IPDG, I kid you not, this is not a thing I'm making up, uh, <laughs> formed by Lucasfilm Development Executive Kiri Hart, uh, met to discuss how they envisioned the then-untitled Episode 8 and 9 uh, to follow now that the plot of Episode 7 was finalized. The members present, present were included Dave Filoni, Pablo Hidalgo, John Knoll, Dennis Murin, and Skywalker sound designer Gary Rydstrom, and a senior vice president of physical production, Jason McGatlin, and yours truly, the author. Not yours truly, me. I definitely was not there. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, Ronnie, you, you've, been, you've been holding out of this. <laughs> I wish, no. <laughs> but it then, it's literally a transcript from this meeting, this executive creative meeting. Um, uh, brains and, trust. And it's literally just uh, Doug Chang, and it's, at, it's uh, them going back and forth about the role of Leia in the film. Um, let's see... Uh, Pablo Hidalgo, quote, I imagine I could imagine her being the one to break through to our villain, Dave. Oh, I love that. I love, too. I look back down at this table and see we're presided b- b- over by Padme, which is this uh, Padme of Madala painting in the room they were in. Um, the hmm. female lead of the prequel trilogy and Leia's mother. There's a powerful idea about this matriarchy coming back and subverting what has always been dominantly patriarchal in, in, in terms of male heroes, Zeus, Hercules, everything else does. What happens with, mm. Ky- what happens with Kylo when he, does to, uh, when he does to his father is structurally not a redeemable act. He's talking about, of course, offing his dad. Um, and there's no coming back from that, what he, the way he does it currently. But I could see a mother figure trying to do it. So that's... A, that's um, the not story group story group kind of it's basically an informal brain trust which is i actually kind of like the idea of that being there when i see those names like dennis Murin hanging out talking about hey what should we do and it's it's kind of close to yeah. what jj abrams would then come back to of course there's a long journey to get there but well it was always uh i, I don't think this has been gainsaid anywhere that it was always planned that you know the force awakens would be hans swan song uh, Last Jedi would be Luke's one song, and Episode Nine uh, was going to be Leia's. Yeah, and that uh, you know we we we'd learned this pretty much at, at the end of the Last Jedi, right? You know, the, the structure became clear at that point. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting that they had that angle as well, and that the matriarchy versus the patriarchy. That's I, I'm I'm sure that everyone on the internet is going to take that in the uh, storytelling spirit in which it's intended, and there's going to be absolutely no arguments uh, at all whatsoever. Nobody's going to be leaping to conclusions on Twitter, yeah, <laughs> about about what this means I mean, for the politics of Star Wars. That's but what, um, but I feel like but, but let's like transcend it. let's transcend that because I think it's pretty relevant. Mm-hmm. Like in Dave Filoni, a little bit later in the quote, because it goes on for a while, but he explicitly says, "What if Leia is the Obi Wan role? What if she's mm. the one who sort of uh, breaks through?" Um, because yeah, yeah. it's that's the interesting thing about Rise of Skywalker, isn't it? Especially the the novelization, which I I started listening to the audiobook of that. Mm. Uh, it really goes much more deeply into the Leia as, as mentor role. Um, mentor to Ray, which is interesting and and something that we hadn't seen, but it but it seems so belated, right? It's like all of a sudden, out of the blue, she's she's been a mentor all along, or she's you know been a mentor since the last time we uh, we checked in with everyone, and mm. um, it's interesting. I I would have liked to have seen that brought to the fore in the previous movie, set up better, perhaps. It is a, it is kind of a shame that. Um, 
Leia, I mean, obviously through just tragic real life circumstances, it, they didn't really have room to expand her role in the way that they wanted to. But I, I do think it's interesting that um, they were already looking at that. That really does solidify from the behind the scenes perspective that they were looking at, at giving each of these characters their swan song. Um, mm. Let me ask you, yeah, why which do you is a beautiful structure when you think of it. it I, I mean, I, I love it. it. I love the the concept of it. I, mm. Let me ask you this, Chris. What do you think, for for those that, that opposed it, why do you think there is a mm-hmm. different reaction between Han Solo's death and Luke Skywalker's death? How long I think we expected. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't mean the spoilers, although they, they were out there. You know, you could very definitely read on certain blogs at the time. Uh, that that Han was going to die, but also it's it was common knowledge that that Harrison Ford was less attached to his character mm. than uh, any other member of the original cast. Um, that he wanted Han to die, actually at one point wanted Han to die in Empire. Uh, then he wanted Han to die in Return of the Jedi, and he thought it would give some weight to the story. So it seemed natural and a little obvious. Um, and uh, Luke, on the other hand, we were. I think part of it is the the tragic circumstance of uh, Carrie Fisher's death, which led us all to believe that um, that episode would be Carrie Fisher's swan song. Basically, we got it reversed mm. from Lucasfilm's actual plan. Yeah, right. Um, and it was because of Carrie's death. And I, I, I've I've written about this before that it's sort of like, you know, Carrie Fisher's last storytelling service. Uh, you know, she was a script doctor in her time, and this this is this was a wonderful, masterful misdirection on her part, uh, because we were all paying attention to that and not even questioning whether the sixty-something-year-old man playing the <coughs> title role of a movie called *The Last Jedi* was perhaps going to die at the end of it. So, because of that misdirection, it came as a shock and i think that we were all processing our grief in different ways and i think um i think some people took about two or three years to process their grief and mm. were stuck in the marketing stage for a long time um or yeah. stuck in the anger stage and uh so you know i think it was a collision of circumstances and bold storytelling and i think it will all uh flatten out over time as as things did, did with the prequels yeah, it's um, it it is interesting because it's a, 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 I mean, it's an ever evolving story, and it's a little, we can now we now finally have the benefit of sort of hindsight of these three films, and it, I think it does begin mm. to paint a little bit more of a cohesive and different picture because I and I've been on the show, uh, for for years now throughout the the entire sequel trilogy, I make no bones about the fact that I think there are certain elements of storytelling in Luke Skywalker's um, story in The Last Jedi that didn't really click for me during the course of the film. Mm-hmm. I will say this, the final act, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I personally, as a fan, I loved, the, I loved that final act. I loved the final confrontation. I loved his farewell to, to uh, Leia. I think it's probably the most, one of the most touching moments of the whole uh, sequel trilogy, and it's such a precious uh, moment. Oh. that was preserved there oh. but honestly i think the greatest punches you in the heart the greatest line of that whole um film is i will not be the last jedi and that sets mm. up and that and i think um when you focus on his <laughs> grumpiness and failures throughout the course of the film 
or, or maybe some of the delivery of style and certainly some of the outside of the movie elements, the, the real world, you know, commentary from creatives. Um, I think unfortunately that colors it for both fans mm. and creatives, the, the sort of real world confrontation and back and forth. Um, it colors it in a way that it won't be, you know, five, 10, 20 years from now. Um, exactly. Over, over time, eventually, especially as, as younger generations jump on board Star Wars and they're just watching it in episode order and they just they see the sequel trilogy as, you know, three movies to binge. Um, mm. You know, the, the weight won't be a factor. The expectations won't be a factor. They will simply be able to see the whole story as one thing. Uh, and I think you see a lot more... Mm. Uh, you you just see a lot more in in the, the building blocks of the whole story when when you look at it from that distance. You yeah. know, you see, uh, oh, the you know the first first quote unquote four movies are a story of you know Obi Wan kind of trying and failing to do something, and and Luke's story echoes that in a lot a lot of ways as we are sort of you know drawn to succeed our elders and make a lot of the same mistakes. But also, he he learns some lessons, um, and he passes on what he can, um, and, and he has a, a triumphal ending that that fits very much within the limitations um, of uh, you know what what the filmmakers were provided with. Because let's be honest, I I you know I love Mark Hamill to death. Um, I think he's a fantastic actor, but I think you've got to play to his strengths. And having him be the swashbuckling Luke Skywalker of the original trilogy wasn't really an option. Hmm. And you have to sort of play around that, and I think the, the play, the way that Ryan Johnson played around with that, the way that he he created that that whole, you know, the fake light lightsaber battle, quote unquote fake, because you know I th- I think that that was really powerful because Luke ends by not only going out and facing the whole uh, uh, first order with a uh, laser sword as he <laughs> says he's not going to do. Um, yeah. Uh, but also, he's 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 Gandhi in that moment. You know, he's he's uh, uh, you know he's, he's it's the nonviolence of that scene that is marvelous. He doesn't. Mm. He only draws his sword. He never strikes. And I think that's a wonderful way for Luke to go out and to to break the cycle of violence that he himself had issues with. You know, from Empire yeah. onwards. Um, you know, he's a, he's a hothead in the original trilogy and you have to retain some of that for the sequel trilogy. We don't get older and learn from every single one of our, one of our mistakes. We get older and we repeat a lot of our mistakes. So that, that rang very true to me and it was, it was a beautiful ending within the constraints and within those larger structural constraints of hoping that, you know, the ninth movie was going to be layered. Um, yeah, for sure. It is. And that's, so, there's, yeah. it left a lot to, um, it left quite a setup for nine. Like as, as we've just seen with rise of Skywalker, there's a lot. It, it, it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how JJ Abrams did it. Like as successfully as he did. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm still, we're talking about stages of grief. I'm, I'm still certainly personally in a, in a stage of grief over rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And I think it's partly because the, um, the stories that we got that were confirmed by, uh, the uh, original director, the the book of Henry guy, whose name I'm currently blanking on. Uh, oh, wait, wait, oh, dang it. See, now you said it. Now I, uh, yeah, I know, I know. So original Mr. Episode 9 guy, <laughs> <laughs> prior to JJ, you know, we, we got those pages from a script, right? And, and 
they they contained the one thing that I was really looking for, mm. and which I think was promised by Last Jedi, which was Luke haunting Kylo. Um, you know, he he did say, "Strike me down, and I I will I'll haunt you just as your father will." Um, mm. I would have loved to have seen that because, again, going back to playing to Mark Hamill's strengths, having him being the the sort of the annoying Yoda <laughs> as, as a ghost on you know following Kylo around at all times, could you just you can just write that in your head, right? Mark Hamill and Adam Driver doing those scenes, it would play to both of their strengths so well that I am still literally furious that JJ abandoned that idea. Mm. Interesting, because you're the first person who I've talked to that that talked about that missed opportunity. Um, mm. Because I think a lot of, uh, including myself, the that what I praise for the Last Jedi was really taking the um, the new characters and tying up an an adventure story that had so many loose ends. Uh, mm. It was sort of a it was a race to wrap everything up, and and to me a sort of triumph that he was able to pull a lot of these stories together. Uh, I still think the the Palpatine element is a little ham-fisted because of how quickly it had mm-hmm. it was introduced. Um, yeah, it could have been more clearly drawn. I mean, it's sort of a classic writer's problem. If you've got too many threads to wrap up, mm. and so you and you've only got two hours to do it in, so you're cross-cutting a lot back and forth, and we don't get enough time to care about uh, the new characters, let alone a lot of the old characters. Uh, this leads to a lot of complaints that, you know, favorite character X from movie X isn't in this enough because no one is. Because hmm. no one gets enough time in, in the, the way that J.J. Stru- structured it. And it's, it's definitely, I mean, the guy's a people pleaser, right? And that that's good and bad. Um, you know, certainly there are many elements of Rise of Skywalker that I loved. But I think it was hampered um, a lot by this need to include so many story strands in in one thing and i i would almost want it to break the trilogy structure and be two movies if if mm. he was going to introduce everything he introduced yeah you definitely do get that sense of him sort of like his swan song was uh i don't know it was a uh, it was an epic that that definitely had to be cut down like even just going through the uh the art of book the whole subplot that he introduces with the um, the uh, spider dude sitting on the baby's head, I've I've already forgot the the name, <laughs> but you know there's like this whole s- subsequence. It was an entire set that they built and shot, um, wow. and uh, but it, and that sort of introduced that was a path that brought uh, Kylo to Palpatine that would have extended that story a bit. Mm. Um, yeah, which which would have drawn that out, and that that scene needed to make a lot more sense. I mean. Even just the the finding the pathfinder, I was I, I was drawn up short at the very start of the film because of that. Because I was immediately saying, "Well, hang on, what is the supreme leader doing out on the battlefield, uh, leading the charge?" This just it strained credulity to me from from a military history perspective, right? And Star Wars has always been kind of respectful as far as military history is concerned, I think, in terms of what is likely and viable and strategically good. Mm. Um, so to to pull us up immediately on, on that front, I thought was a little bit of a problem. But um, but yeah, it's I you almost want it to be a miniseries, right? <laughs> I mean, I would it's watch almost that. like Rise of Skywalker should have been Mandalorian length. I listen, I, I, it's funny you say, I literally just finished, we binged all of the episodes today, 
uh, me and my wife watched the Waco series on Netflix. Um, and it's a six episode miniseries, really well done. Um, but it's one of those things that really kind of dips into the character time that, uh, that it really gives those characters time to breathe and develop. I, and and that's where I actually think, um, funny enough, I was most worried about the Kylo arc as far as being believable. That was one for me that I actually thought had the most time and attention and, and kind of made the most sense like the the moment of him being confronted by the memory of his father like that to me Mm. was probably the most star warsy turning points of the movie um it reminded me of absolute classic star wars but it i definitely get where you're coming from on the sort of on the pace of the movie um which actually this this kind of leads generally to what i wanted to talk to you about uh revisiting how star wars conquered the universe available wherever fine books are sold um (laughs) But no, I uh, I actually flagged. I like I've I've dog-eared pages. I don't, is that is that bad to admit? Is, am I am I allowed? Uh, I I also dog-ear pages. Oh, good. So you're you're, you're my, totally. Familiar. My mom growing up was never allowed me to. But listen, I'm an adult now. Damn it. Uh, same, same. <laughs> and now that's exactly why I do it. <laughs> Just rebellious. <laughs> um, but uh, you, uh, uh, this is kind of a similar conversation about you know history that's much older at this point. But that's the production of Empire Strikes Back. Like, um, and of course, uh, Secret History of Star Wars gets into sort of like detail by detail, script by script, and the full investigative timeline. But if you look at uh, Empire, um, uh, here's a little excerpt from the book. This is Lucas basically claimed later in life that Vader, uh, he that was who he had in mind for Luke's father all along. However, we know he's also, let's see, great quote. He's uh, also copped to a whole lot of spontaneity in his writing. Quote, when you're creating something like that, the characters take over, he said in 93, and they begin to tell the story apart from what you're doing. Actually, <clears throat> hang on. Uh, then you have uh, have to figure out <laughs> how to put the puzzle back It's like he's in the room. Uh, and so it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so. Riley, you didn't tell me you'd invited George onto the podcast. Hello, sir. Well, it's, I've been kind of bored in quarantine and... <laughs> <laughs> uh, bet, listen he's been so bored in quarantine he's been calling dave filoni evidently <laughs> i just saw that on twitter like sam whitworth said in some interview that like he's just calling up dave's like oh, that's a pretty good episode uh, <laughs> i i thought he always did that though i mean didn't, didn't dave like uh like he, he got there was that story about george got a cell phone and and he would call dave incessantly on it oh, for yeah, the first, that's, that's true. first time he got a cell phone like <laughs> <laughs> he just just likes to bug the guy. <laughs> um, but I think that's a good comparison in that, like the the motivations. Lu- I think a lot of people complain about there being no game plan, and I'm not saying they're yeah. the same. Like a lot of people, I think make it the excuse of like, well, George changed his mind. I, I recognize it's different having a single storyteller. Um, but I, when you look at the production of Empire, it's it seemed like the movie Lucas most hated the process of production, but ended up with the the most challenging, expansive element of and made star wars what it is today in a, in a way and it's the one where he had the most fun writing the story mm. perhaps with the uh, exception of phantom menace but um but he really really found it you know relatively enjoyable compared to his usual bleeding on the page yeah because he i mean this is not a secret he's admitted for years that he hated writing like writing was just not his thing oh yeah and it, it just you you can see the 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 agony in some of his drafts, uh, particularly like the the second draft of the Star Wars, in which he starts to talk about the Bogan Force, you know, which is basically depression, 
uh, the, you know, it's, it's the dark side of the force, but if the dark side of the force were about, you know, just sort of being miserable and you just sort of stop doing stuff and, you know, I think that the Bogan force may be uh, influencing a lot of us in quarantine, but, um, <laughs> but it was certainly in- influencing George when he wrote it. And, you know, you have all these stories about how he just used to sit there at his desk and cut ringlets of his hair off and stick them in the waste paper basket so his hair started. I know, yeah. Dale, the, uh, Dale Pollock talked about that originally, right? That was a, that yeah. was originally him who kind of covered that. That's where that comes from. And I can totally, but, you know, others have corroborated it and I can totally believe it. Mm. Uh, you know, he... <laughs> Especially as a writer, you're you're like sitting there staring at a blank screen or a blank page, and you're like, "What am I doing here?" And you just you reach for the scissors, and if you're lucky, you you're only snipping bits of your hair off. <laughs> well, I, it's it's kind of crazy to think about it, but like, what what was it? 1978, right? Well, the year after when he sat down after Lee Brackett turned in her version of the script. Um, yep. And tragically passed shortly thereafter, and that's when he sort of took it in hand and realized, "I gotta, I gotta do it myself here. I can't just farm this out." And it was that was the time that he kind of came up with the Vader is father. What what was the process for that? Yeah, so so Lee Brackett gave him an enormous gift in the form of a script that was exactly what he didn't want Empire Strikes Back to be. Oh. So he, he'd outlined some of the basics. He had the basic story, surprisingly well formed. Uh, at the beginning of this process when he has his his story conference with Lee Brackett. Uh, And what she turns in, I don't know if you've read it, but it is, um, I encourage everyone to go out and find it and sort of once and for all give give the lie to this this idea that it was, you know, a better version of Empire. It is, um, you know, God bless Lee Brackett for everything she did, um, but she did not really quite get Star Wars or she was not well enough to mm. to really dive into it you know there are a lot of mistakes and it's just weird i mean you have uh the ghost of anakin skywalker appears on dagobah i think and, and has a uh like a formal lightsaber duel with yoda like it's you know there's a lot of <laughs> bowing and and then they just sort of as if they're fencing you know like, like the count dooku salute <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you know, George George read this, and and you you read it, and you're like, oh no, oh no, that's not. Mm. None of this is how this is supposed to be. Like you know, you've sort of got the wrong end of the stick on a lot of things. Um, so he was then able to take that and say, well, I want to do the opposite in almost every situation, and it becomes clear in the Lee Brackett script that. Uh, Anakin Skywalker is just one character too many and the ghost of Anakin Skywalker and you know how the this question of how do you have Luke reconcile with his father mm. um, and to my mind I think you've also got to consider that literally everyone on the planet including George Lucas had seen the original Star Wars a million times and when you see the original Star Wars a million times one thing you notice mm. is Alec Guinness's line reading of a Jedi named Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father and he sort of looks away slightly at that point Mm. and I honestly think that that is just you know that was just kind of picked up in that take and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean as much as as we now take it to mean uh, because we're like oh Obi-Wan we can see why you're lying Um, 
but I think it just that was a complete accident of you know capturing a particular performance from uh, Alec Guinness. And I think when you, when you see it that many times, you're like, hang on a minute, you know. So it it, it wasn't necessarily the biggest leap in the world to say let's make them the ba- the, the the same character. And I think that. Uh, you know, there there are a lot of examples of stories that Lucas had read, comic books he had read, where there was a sudden paternal revelation. Right? It it was not unique to Empire. It has not been unique since. Um, we see it in a lot of stories. Hmm. Wait, you're my father. You know, and and now we we almost think of it as like you know copyright George Lucas exactly 1978. But um, but somehow, uh, Dave Prowse had either managed to suspect it on his own or George had been there are all these rumors that the George was trying it out as an idea on the set of Star Wars like he would he would tell people uh, what if you know what if uh, Darth Vader oh, it's it's like he's in the room again <laughs> um, you know what if, what if Darth is Luke's father like isn't wouldn't that be epic uh, and maybe that's where Dave Prowse got it from or maybe he just wrote it himself but one thing we do know for sure we have documentary newspaper evidence of david prowse suggesting that darth vader is luke's father uh at, actually at a comic shop in berkeley not not far from where i now live no um give me a all right let's investigative detective hat for a second what what's the timeline when was when was david prowse on record um i believe i don't have the book to hand or the um the original article it was based on but i my memory is that it is roughly march april 78 oh dang um maybe that- even a little earlier maybe january february so i know he, he goes on a david prowse goes on an american tour or arranges an american tour because he feels like he's not he doesn't get no respect you know for playing Darth it seems Vader. to happen, have happened with a lot of original i just read i am c3po and this is sounding awfully familiar <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everyone in these films uh, who's behind a mask. Well, I say everyone. Two of the guys in these films who are behind a mask uh, <laughs> didn't feel like they, they got enough respect for really, you know, in, injecting their physical performance into that character. Yeah. Uh, which is fair enough. You know, you can see why you would have that sense of ownership. So he goes on this US tour and in Berkeley, you know, a San Francisco examiner reporter quotes him as saying, uh, I think not in the second film, but he claims that in the third film, it's going to be revealed that mm. uh, that Darth Vader is actually Luke's father. Damn. And he has this sort of weird addendum to that, which is that they now cannot kill each other because they're family, which, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, maybe it's that we're, we're more cynical now. <laughs> We've seen too many stories where, uh, you know, parent and child can kill each other. Uh, <clears throat> but I guess that was sort of the, the natural mythological assumption or maybe it was the assumption of you know in a in a movie for kids you wouldn't have them killing each other right? somewhere like um a five-year-old jj abrams read the newspaper and was like just wait <laughs> uh, wait a minute why uh, can't the son kill the father um enter force awakens no so but it's funny that timeline very closely is is to the script lucas's script was early 70 i don't remember exactly when but like 78 when he had the um vader as father. yeah it's around about it's his not his summer vacation, but it's in the spring summer of that year. He goes down to Mexico, and that's where he writes the fateful draft. All right, so uh, I'm just putting the question point blank to you. Do you think there is any reasonable, uh, any way there could be a reasonable suspicion that this was in Lucas's mind prior to '78? 
especially because the evidence I'll, I'll pop one last piece of evidence in this sort of conspiracy theories court corner and that was just the 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 right out of the script of star wars where he's got too much of his father in him you know it's it, mm-hmm. it works That's so perfectly which but it wasn't there's no paper evidence until 78 that, that it was there but do you think it was in his brain just as a star wars scholar of sorts and and there was paper evidence in the opposite direction, right? In in terms of Lee Brackett's draft, right, That's, where they are definitely yeah. two different. And there's also paper evidence that uh, Empire Strikes Back was supposed to be Star Wars Two at the beginning, right? That that was oh, yeah. the uh, that was the production name for, for for quite a long time. In fact, until Lucas does his draft, um, in which they're the same person. Um, and also, so I'll present two other pieces of evidence My that gosh. actually fall on both sides. Uh, one is a claim in Starlog magazine that um, George was going around like comic book conventions in the Bay Area in 77, kind of dropping this as an experiment <laughs> in seeing whether it would go viral. Just so you had this image of, of you know, sidling up to guys and whispering to the, you know, actually Darth Vader, Luke's father. Which, so so that is mentioned, that is contemporary uh, rumor recorded in Starlog. Yeah. Um, contemporary, by contemporary, I mean immediately post-Empire. Um, and then the other side of the equation is when you actually look at the draft that Lucas wrote, it has this weird, you know, this weird thing that can't necessarily just be explained by the fact that, that George is a bad writer of dialogue. And it is that he throws in the line of Darth Vader, you know, that they're having their Titanic final confrontation in cloud city uh, out there on the, uh, on the, the catwalk. Mm. And, um, and Darth Vader says something like, join me and we shall rule the galaxy together as father and son. And he says that before he tells Luke that he's his father, Right, which is exactly the wrong way to do it and yeah you know he's he's writing the script and it's a little bit messy and he's just sort of trying to get his thoughts down uh but that does suggest to me that he's like he's trying to up the stakes in that moment Mm. right very important thing that any movie series has to do at this point constantly up the stakes um what would up the stakes and he's thinking he's, he's basically got darth vader insulting Luke in all these ways. It's like, you know, Obi-Wan didn't teach you well, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're not, you're not fit yet. You're not a Jedi yet. And, and it's, you can almost feel the, the writer of this script kind of constantly, how can I ratchet these stakes up further? And then he writes, join, you know, join me and we'll rule the galaxy as father and son. And you can almost picture him going, Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> Ooh. And, and that immediately solves the problem of, you know, uh, where do we bring Anakin Skywalker into this? You know, how do they? How do we reconcile that whole supposed story of Anakin and Darth? And, and it just—it doesn't seem to. It's—it's it's too many loose ends, uh, even for a man in this movie who was trying to deliberately sew a lot of loose ends. Yeah, like uh, just I can't. You know, he's perfectionist tinkering away at the uh, yeah, relationship between these characters. He just can't seem to get them into a dramatically interesting order yeah and but at that moment gave gives birth to yeah. the the entire thrust of return of the jedi and yes. the the thrust of the entire prequels all in that one and moment the thrust of the prequels yeah if you as soon as you make that change it it goes from being star wars 2 to being episode 5 
Mm, yeah. Because suddenly you have to explain, well, <laughs> well that's an interesting backstory. Back yeah. uh how did one become the other because it's, it's not necessarily like you know again you've got with any history you have to take your uh preconceived notions from the present day out of the equation you have to say well is it how is it likely that a guy named anakin skywalker becomes a guy named darth vader is that it doesn't necessarily track mm. yeah right you don't really have a lot of uh instances in history of you know people getting new names when they, um, you know, uh, yeah, so you, you have to explain that. And it, obviously, Dark Apprentice, you know, that, that sort of starts to come to the fore. Uh, and at, at that point, by the way, in interviews, George Lucas starts saying, well, you know, Darth Vader means Dark Father, which you can make that argument, but you can also point out the fact that he had, had earlier mentioned that he was adding Darth to a lot of last names and there is and there is a family in Modesto named Vader. <laughs> Who uh like there was the school bullies, right? Basically. Yes. <laughs> Reputedly the school bully who bullied George was from the Vader family. So I mean, I mean, <laughs> and and they've long tried to track this family down or you know anyone who who would know anything about this haven't haven't found anything yet, but oh. I you know I suspect. Uh. Oh, dude, I have a... Anecdotally suspect. I have a question for you. Not about... I have. This reminds me of a question. I post after the show, though. After the show. I'll tell you what, man. I could literally go on for hours, but I, I want to respect your time. Um, but we, I'll tell you what. We got to have you back on. We'll do some more of these segments kind of exploring um, some of these really fascinating elements of Star Wars history that I think are very much worth revisiting in the context of the sequel trilogy now. Um, and listen, we got nothing else to do till the Mandalorian comes out. So um, yeah, I was gonna say, let me let me take a look at my very busy quarantine schedule here. I think uh, I, I can squeeze another podcast in between um, sourdough baking. <laughs> exactly. Well, dude, uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the show right after we do Boba's bounty. Oh, worth a lot to me. As you wish. You guys know it. Uh, each week we're talking about something we've read, listened to, experienced in the world of Star Wars. Uh, something that's getting your fandom goat going. And for me, uh, I finished last week. I had read uh, IMC3PO. Uh, you can hear my thoughts on the last podcast. It's uh, quite a fun ride. I, I le- Also, Anthony Daniels performing himself is, is pretty amazing. But this week, I've just about halfway through... Uh, the Princess Diarist. I never read mm. it when it originally came out, but I'm listening to the audible uh, performance of it uh, with uh, Carrie Fisher and Billy Lord performing the the book. Carrie Fisher reading the um, the primary portion of the book, and and Billy Lord reading her previously unreleased diary entries from the production of the original Star Wars. And it's it's fascinating. It's tragic, but but it's fascinating. Her, mm. her story. I hadn't realized that Billy Lord was was playing young, young Carrie. That's beautiful. Yeah, it it was it is, and and it book came out a couple years ago, and I just I never got around to reading it. But it you know in the context of just finishing Anthony Daniels' book, I, I wanted to kind of get her perspective on it, and it's it's very typical Carrie Fisher wit and cultural commentary. Um, kind of chronicling her experiences growing up, um, but really the the primary thrust of 
uh, is her revealing previously unrevealed experiences on the set, including her now famous affair with Harrison Ford, which I is yeah. It's you say previously unrevealed though, and it, it's kind of weird. But I I already had it in the, the book. Um, <laughs> Carrie Fisher had actually been talking about this. <laughs> I guess it, <laughs> about I this say. affair to anyone who would listen. <laughs> Um, which, you know, who would actually ask about it, well, uh, which turned out to be like, I think, two YouTube interview guys. <laughs> so, I, and, and forget, forgive my historical ignorance then, because I, I, I remember all of the news stories breaking when the book came out, but I guess that's yeah. just by virtue of it being a, a publicity tour that that became this, this yep. thing. Yeah, it was definitely in Carrie's interest to present it that way, but also it was her bringing the receipts, right? She may have talked about this. Um, but honestly, when, when, when you picked up those videos from, I, I, I want to say like 2011, 2012, uh, but you can mm. look it up on YouTube, uh, if it's still up mm. a number of interviews where she talks about it. She talk about, she talks about Harrison hiding in her closet, <laughs> yeah. uh, naked except for a tie, like pretending to be on one of the coat hangers, uh, while they were on the set. Uh, so maybe she doesn't go into as much depth as she does in the book. Yeah, it, uh, you know, get a lot more details on the where's and when's. Yeah, but the the um, I actually like it because it's it's a lot of perspective. I enjoy hearing Carrie Fisher's perspective, um, and it's not really written in a I don't know uh, tawdry uh, dramatic fashion. I, I it's it's a it's a commentary on a coming of age story from her perspective set in the midst of the production of the coming of age story that we all grew up with. And, but, and that's what kind of <laughs> makes it fascinating to me. Um, and stories within stories. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that, that if you haven't uh, highly recommend it and, and that's, it's again, continuing my tear of uh, star Wars uh, behind the scenes books and stuff on audible. Next up, I, I have um I've ordered Skywalking. I've never actually gone through it. I'm going to go through that. Also, George Lucas Alive. Uh, that's up on the list. I've got that in my queue. So, it's listen, this quarantine, right, I'm, I'm reading up uh, and, and really delving into... And, and I've actually come... I've really appreciated better research and more thoughtful commentary on, on the saga of Star Wars that you just don't get kind of following the day-to-day news. And I've... You know, this whole quarantine thing has kind of given me that that time and i've and i've so far i've been loving it man but yeah that's that's what i've been up to this week um chris you want to participate any uh, star wars stuff that you've been uh, that you've discovered or experienced recently that you want to share with the world you know i had been kind of taking a little bit of a star wars break um but i did just jump into clone wars season seven ah. with old friends not forgotten nice um and I had, I mean, my, my experience of Clone Wars is I'm very much a dipper. I, I will dip in for an episode here and there. Ah. You know, certain arcs I'll watch all the way through, like the Mortis arc or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the Yoda arc in, uh, in Season 6. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of dipped into the, the Bad Batch episodes here in Clone Wars in, in Season 7. And I was like, eh, you know, it's not really my sort of thing would have been my sort of thing maybe age 12 you know <laughs> yeah he, he he would have loved it that guy would have loved it uh, for me it's, it's just a little yeah i'm over that but um old friends not forgotten i'm very excited about the um the movie-esque framing mm. of these final episodes yeah uh that's very interesting and the fact that we're i mean i got that old familiar you know pit of dread in my in my stomach uh when we you know the uh 
Palpatine, or they, they don't actually know that he's been captured yet, right? They, yeah. they just know that there's been an attack on Coruscant. Like we we know we're finally there. Mm. I mean, after how many years has has the Clone Wars lasted? It's my goodness. I I just always go back to the fact that Mash was uh, that famous statistic about Mash was on TV longer than the Korean War actually lasted. Um, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> with true. the Clone Wars, it's like threefold the amount of time. Yeah, uh, but we're finally there. We're finally all caught up, and this is this is really it. You know, there's going to be no more room for daylight between Clone Wars and Episode Three at this point. Yeah, it's I honestly I, I if we're going to see the events of Revenge of, of Revenge of the Sith unfold in. Uh, in sort of like a weird, uh, I don't know, the, the, the word I'm looking for escapes me, but it, it is sort of odd independent filmmaking technique of like, we're revisiting all of the moments that we know so well. It's kind of like Endgame, honestly. <laughs> it's, mm. it's this weird like Endgame-like uh, quality to revisiting all these scenes we know so well just from an alternative perspective. So it's, it's almost like that the they're seeing themselves from the outside, like the, the animated characters are going to fly into that <laughs> opening scene of the Sith and their ships will fly around the, uh, <laughs> the live action versions of themselves. And they'd be like, Whoa, what's I mean, going on here? I'd watch that. <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> I, yes, I'm, I'm always down for Star Wars getting a mo- bit more timey wimey. Yeah. As a, as a doctor Who fan. So nice. Nice. I love it. Well, folks, that is going to wrap up another episode of the Star Wars Report podcast. Uh, Chris, you're the best. Awesome. Dude, like, seriously, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Oh, my, my pleasure. And, and, you know, happy to continue the discussion anytime. Absolutely. As I say, not, not a not a lot on the schedule right now, so. <laughs> well we will be in touch for sure tell um of course the book is how star wars conquered the universe uh amazon uh i love audiobooks it's uh, i love the audible edition of the book you can pick it up anywhere but uh where can folks find you uh on the internet um i'm most often on twitter at future boy easy and uh although again i've been trying with varying success to to take a break from that side of things that's fair that's fair uh but, tiktok uh, you uh, what's your what's your tiktok handle <laughs> we need you on tiktok uh no uh, <laughs> the i have not yet done tiktok dances this dang is, it that's where i draw the line um the you can also you can find us of course at, at star wars report uh, across twitter uh facebook.com slash star wars report you can find me at the riley guy r-i-l-e-y uh, big shout out and thank you to everybody supporting the show on our Patreon. We've had a ton of new Patreon content drop. So if you're interested in any of that, especially the uh, we're doing Clone Wars commentary series, commentary for each episode as it airs. And uh, we're giving that uh, away at any Patreon level. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. Support the show and get some cool bonus content during all of this uh, downtime that we have. So check it out there. Um, and then, of course, finally, StarWarsReport.com. That's where you can... Find the links to everything we've talked about in today's episode and uh, stay in touch with all of the fine network of shows we have available. StarWarsReport.com. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And remember, many Bothans died to bring you this podcast.
And that's the show, sir. I appreciate you. Cool. Dude, you have... Of course. I, 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 I appreciate you for...